0: Mendham, happy Easter. I am so glad to be kind of with you this Easter morning. How great is the staff at Mendham Hills Community Church? I mean, sure, I caught them a little underdressed this morning, but for the most part, they are just crushing it. Um, and also, can I give a big shout out to all of you volunteers? I'm just so proud of all the things that you guys are doing. Also, just want to say how thankful I am going to be part of this community here in Chester, and all the churches maybe you've seen of. Come together. Um, our, our mayor asked us, uh, the Catholic churches and the Protestant churches, if, if those of us that had bells would ring bells at 10 o'clock, and if, if everyone put a, a cross adorned with flowers up in the front of their buildings to just celebrate faith um, a little bit of light in the midst of the darkness we're all facing. And so uh, we have a cross out in front of our church. You can see that on our Facebook page and want to thank the volunteers that did that. And they're out all over town. The, The really fun thing was this got picked up by the whole state of New Jersey. It started right here and now churches all over the state are doing it. So I'm excited to be part of that. Hey, I want to share with you an Easter message that uh, I've just been thinking through a lot over the last couple of weeks, and it started because I noticed something, a pattern beginning to recur again. If you live long enough, it seems like these patterns repeat themselves. One of them that I've discovered is that in in times of trouble or despair, when things get scary or really hard like they are right now for many of us, in order to kind of you know, as a society kind of to kind of buck up or find some resolve, it seems that we've, we've taken on this habit of needing to remind ourselves of, of our strength, that we have the, an inner strength. And I think that's a good thing for, for us as a culture. I, I think it provides a nice rallying cry. You know what I mean. After the terror, uh, terrorist attacks in Boston a few years ago, Boston Strong became a moniker that all of New England took on, it seemed. It seemed like it was everywhere. I was speaking with Isaac this morning. Isaac was saying that the same thing happened in Vegas after the shootings there. Everything was Vegas strong. Well, over the last couple weeks, I've been watching Governor Cuomo's press conferences related to this pandemic, and he's been not even all that creatively, just kind of borrowing the saying for us. He's been saying that those of us that live here in the area we're in this morning, that we are New York strong, and he keeps reminding us of that. And we're going to need to be, because this is an Easter like none of us have ever faced. As of yesterday, I looked at the Johns Hopkins numbers, 1.7 million cases of coronavirus around the world, over 100,000 people taken from us. Right here in the US, over half a million people have tested positive. Nearly 20,000 people have died. And guys, a third of those deaths are right here in the New York metro area. We are indeed going to need to be New York strong. And I understand at one level what that means in, in terms of making sure we all stay home and play our part in, in flattening the curve, stopping the spread. It's funny, for me, I've never had a real struggle staying home or staying on the couch. I've never needed a ton of convincing. It seems as if overnight I've kind of gone from lazy husband to responsible citizen. And so I get what New York Strong means in in terms of the loss of our jobs and and the comeback that will be required. When this is all over, we're going to have to rebuild our economy, put our heads down, and get back to work. We're good at that. But here's where my struggle lies this morning. How does New York Strong apply to the people that you and I now know who haven't just lost jobs or savings, but have lost loved ones or even their lives? The oft-repeated saying now, and I love the saying, it brings me great hope too. You've seen it. People are putting it up in their windows. We will all get through this together. But those John Hopkins numbers don't lie. And if they don't lie, then that means that's not true. We are not all of us going to get through this. I hope we're all New York strong. But the truth is, in order for all of us to get through this together, we're going to need a strength greater than that. I lived through 9 11. I know we can rebuild cities and economies, we can rebuild people's lives and 401ks. But there is something that no one, at least to my knowledge, has been able to rebuild, been able to overcome. And I don't care if you're New York strong or Boston strong. I don't care if you're Einstein strong. I don't care if you're Bezos strong, Schwarzenegger strong. No one has been strong enough to overcome the grave. And of course, if that's true, then we will not all get through this together see that sounds nice but it's a platitude and right now the last thing i need this easter in the midst of this situation is another platitude it got brought home to me very personally this week i have an uncle his name is ted it's my mom's brother he's played an important role in in my life he's played an important role in my kids lives He's, he's been kind of like the ever-present um, uh, uncle in a sense. He lives in New York City, so we don't see him often, but, but he's spoken of so often. And he's like the most generous uncle. You know, you have that one uncle maybe that's the real generous guy. Everything in our house, if you come to our home and you see anything that looks expensive, trust me, it's not because I bought it. It's because my Uncle Ted purchased it for me. You, he would give my kids, to this day, he still gives them the most extravagant gifts. Every toy that they ever got from my Uncle Ted was literally handcrafted somewhere. He's lived in New York City by himself, confirmed bachelor all of his life. A few weeks ago, he'd been experiencing some terrible back pain, and so he was admitted to the hospital and then discovered that he had a bunch of micro fractures in his back, and, and he was going to need physical therapy in order to recover. Now, did I mention that my uncle is well into his 80s? Now, originally, the hospital in the city, they were going to send him out to a rehab facility in not the best area in the city. So we were actually able to intervene and have him moved out here to Jersey and, and get him out of the hotspot spot that New York had become. But that seemed like a great idea. until last week, he, he began with a fever. And then this week in his nursing facility, my Uncle Ted, the most generous man I know, tested positive. Now look, I may have a lot of hope. My Uncle Uncle Ted is New York tough. The guy's in his 80s living on his own in New York City. I get nervous walking through Times Square on a Saturday night. But there is this one enemy. The Apostle Paul called it the last enemy. Death, the grave. It always seems to win, which is why that first Easter morning dawned with So little expectancy. You see, the grave that first Easter morning, it didn't seem any different than the grave this Easter morning. Undefeated. If you're watching and you believe in Jesus, but you're not so sure about the resurrection thing, then you know what? Then this morning, you're just like every single one of Jesus' closest followers that first Easter morning because they thought he was pretty amazing, they had tons of faith in him. They thought he was brilliant. They thought his teaching was amazing too. But you know what else they were certain of? They were certain that he was dead because that's how strong and undefeated the grave is. Luke was a highly educated first century physician and he set out to, to do what he said would be a detailed investigation about the claims regarding Jesus. Here's what he found regarding that first Easter morning. He wrote on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman or excuse me, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Most of you know the story. Jesus had been horribly crucified on Friday. And not only was Jesus now dead, but Jesus' movement was dead. The women, their hopes, their dreams, their positions, their plans, their purposes, all of Jesus' promises, it appeared to them, they seemingly were dead too. Yet it was these women, these followers of Jesus, that were headed to the tomb with spices. Why? Because they were going to finish off the embalming and entombing process that had begun on Friday, three days earlier. Some of you know Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had bought a mixture of myrrh and aloe. The scriptures say about 75 pounds worth. And they took Jesus' body from the cross and they wrapped uh, his body in the, these spices and, and in cloths in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. But because it was Passover and they had to get home by dark, they quickly placed Jesus in the tomb and, and the Romans closed it with a massive stone and sealed it and placed guards there. Luke's careful investigation of this event picks up the story three days later, and he says that these women were coming to finish that ceremonial anointing of Jesus' now very dead body. He says when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, there was no body there. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were wondering about this, Luke writes, notice they weren't celebrating it. They weren't rejoicing over it. They were wondering about it. Why? Because when a dead man's body's missing, that's what you do. You wonder who took it. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And, but the man said to them, why do you look for the living? Among the dead. Now, I think if, uh, if these women were given the chance to answer what for the angels was a rhetorical question, they would have said, um, wh- what are you talking about? We're not. We're not looking for the living amongst the dead. We're looking for Jesus, the dead among the dead. That's why we're here in the tomb. That's why we're here with these spices. We know how dead works. Jesus is dead, and that's why we're looking for him in the grave amongst the dead. I love this honest level of conversation that comes next. The angels declare, he's not here. He's risen. They go on, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? And I love this question because, again, it's kind of rhetorical. It was for the angels, but it wasn't for the women. Remember? No, I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. At first, they have no idea. See, this sounds to me like a conversation that I engage with sometimes with my wife. I can hear her right now saying, do you remember what you said? You don't remember how you said you were going to clean the garage this weekend? And I often go, no, I don't remember saying that. And I think it's because I never remember conversations that I'm not that interested in. I never remember I'd said uh, the times I've said I would make lunches or clean bathrooms or do laundry. I tend, maybe like you, to check out of conversations I don't want to hear. And I think that might have been the case with these women. Stories of Jesus dying and coming back to life, not only would they have made no sense, it was an inconvenient truth they likely wouldn't have heard or understood. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs rule. Messiahs reign. And that's what was going to happen with them now. And so the angels remind them, Do you remember? He told you that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Ladies, do you you remember that? Does any of this sound familiar? Which I guess at some point it must have sounded familiar because there's not too many people that make claims like that. And so maybe when they heard it, I love how Luke records it, he just simply says, Then they remembered his words. But see, just because they remembered them doesn't mean they believe them. Just because they remembered them doesn't mean they believe them, which sometimes sounds a lot like us. John tells us that Mary Magdalene came from that scene running to Simon Peter and the other disciples and said, they've taken the Lord, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so she's just kind of making assumptions that that some grave robbers have come. They've taken Jesus, or maybe the Pharisees or the Romans, they've taken him to make sure there's not going to be any martyr's grave to rally around. And so so Luke picks up the story. He says, when they came back from the tomb, when the women all came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all of the others, but they didn't believe the women either because their words seemed like nonsense. Of course they seemed like nonsense and sometimes they still do, because dead men stay dead. And I could picture them saying, ladies, you must have been duped. See, the disciples at this point, I think they're just trying to muster up Jerusalem strong. You know, we could all get through this together. Jesus was dead. Their hopes and dreams were shot. They'd Wasted three pretty valuable years of their lives, and now the local authorities are, are probably going to do to them what they've done to Jesus. But you know what, ladies? We are Jerusalem strong, and we can get through this. Let's stop with the silliness now, and let's, let's hunker down. Let's pull out that inner strength. You know, one reason to believe all of these resurrection accounts, to, 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 to believe that they're not made up, is that the disciples never paint themselves as heroes in any of these stories. They paint themselves as quaking non-believers. I'll give you another one. The second reason that, that, that you should consider them to be true is that in that first century culture, women were not regarded as credible witnesses. No one would have made up a story that was this outlandish and then make women the first and only witnesses to an already unbelieving group of men. But in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, women were the first witnesses to a bunch of unbelieving guys. The only reason anyone would include these details is that it would have had to have happened this way. And so that first Easter morning, it was established that the tomb was empty, but still very few believed. In fact, the disciples find themselves much like we do, th- they find themselves in a first-century quarantine. Because it's funny, at first blush, this year's, seemed, this year's Easter seems, in a sense, like an Easter like no other. But the truth is that this Easter is actually an Easter very similar, almost, stick with me in the story, it's almost eerily similar to the first Easter. John tells us that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Now remember, this is the end of the first Easter day now. What has happened since morning? Peter and John have run to the empty tomb and seen the stone rolled away. The grave clothes They weren't tossed everywhere like a grave robber would have left them, but they were carefully folded and placed in such a manner that John, upon seeing them, said it made him believe, at least for a moment, the guards, they have fled. The women have met with angels. Still, though, by the end of the first day, here's their situation. It's actually our situation. Quarantine. down. Why? Afraid of what's to come. Fear for what's out on the street. And John says that it's into that fear It's into that quarantine. It's into that scenario where death exists for them out on the streets. Jesus walks in and says, peace be with you. I mean, of course he did. Of course he did, because does anybody need more peace than a people quarantined who have had some of their hopes and dreams crushed by death on the streets? After he said this, he he showed them his hands and and, and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, And, and again Jesus said to them, and I think he says to you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, he looked at those men and said, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Relieve, or, "'Receive the Holy Spirit.'" And then, guys, here's the story. Something happened that night. It became not just an empty tomb story like it was in the morning. But by the evening, it became a living Savior one, a resurrection one. The story moved from where Jesus wasn't to where Jesus was. Easter is not just about an empty grave, but it's about a resurrected man. And suddenly, Jesus is everywhere. You find him with Mary, telling her not to be afraid. You find him with Peter, who had denied him, telling him that he didn't have to live with grief and failure anymore. Did you know that Jesus hangs out for nearly a month and a half before he ascends? He's seen by hundreds of people. Paul would later tell the Corinthians that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, Paul would say, look, there's lots of these 500 guys that you can go ask if they saw him. That's the reality of the resurrection, It would have been the most easily disproved thing, but it wasn't. In fact, Paul goes on. He goes, then Jesus appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. To me also, Paul says, to me. I think he would tell you I was the one when I first heard people saying Jesus was written, I thought it was a dangerous hoax too. I made it my life's work to squash this movement. I was part of the persecution of the whole thing. And then he appeared to me too. You see, it it wasn't just that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. It was that he was also everywhere else. You could say it was just grave robbers, except Jesus kept appearing to people. You could say the the appearances were just hallucinations. But you're talking about hundreds of hallucinations. And the tomb was empty. Guys, it was that combination of events that changed everything that first Easter day. Think about it. How else do you explain people going from disbelieving and frightened, discouraged, and hiding in rooms, locked away in fear, to people the next day courageously, joyfully going to their deaths in service to this man? How does Peter go from denying to defending? How does Paul go from from persecutor to, to... to martyr. Friends, this is a new kind of strong. Some kind of strength overtook these men. Some kind of strength overtook these women. It was a strength for them that far outweighed the fear of the streets and that far outweighed the grave which had gripped them. They were no longer worried about Jerusalem strong they had become jesus christ strong that's what happened to them that first easter but what about you and i this easter what about those of us this easter who are frightened who are worried who are tired of platitude platitudes being blown our way who find ourselves today locked in a room, who realize that New York Strong is not strong enough. It's really interesting because John records a story for people just like us. And in it, Jesus speaks to people like you and me. He records that Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus had come that Easter evening. And some time had gone by now, and Jesus had been appearing all over the place. The disciples had moved from doubt and despair to, to belief and, and from Jerusalem strong to, to Jesus Christ strong mentalities. But not Thomas. And so when the other disciples gather with him, when, he, when they see him come into town, they, they say, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas, he's like you and I. He's, he's likely frustrated. He's probably disappointed about what's become of his life. Because for Thomas, what he thought he could trust in and rely on had vanished along with his hope and his belief. And so he says to them, guys, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his sides, I'm not believing. This is great for you guys, but I am not giving any more of my life to this. I have wasted enough time. And so John, with great detail, records for us that another seven days goes by. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, and maybe we understand this new this year, why he says this the same thing again, peace be with you. And then he called Thomas over and he said, Thomas, put your finger here. See, see my hands. And reach, reach out your hand and, and put it into my side. And then when it was done, I, I picture him looking deeply into Thomas' eyes. I think he says to Thomas what he would say to you and I. In the light of all of these things, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas reacts the way one one does when the resurrection moves from fancy to, to fact. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, Then Jesus told him, and I think in doing so, he says to you and to me, he kind of stops and looks ahead to people just like you and I. People who are holed up in locked houses behind closed doors in fear of what's going on in the streets, of what's going to happen to us. People who have lost a few things that they had relied on, that they thought had made them strong. Suddenly they had been taken away. And he looks through time to you and I this Easter morning in our rooms. And he says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are the people who are going to come after you guys, the generations that will come and that will hear and believe because of you, Thomas. And because, John, of what you're recording and because of the things Luke investigated and found to be true. He's talking to you and to me in our rooms this morning. John concludes, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written with all of this detail, not so that you might have a nice story not so that you might be able to generate moral platitudes one day, but they are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. John says, I want you to believe that Jesus is alive, resurrected, and I want you to not just believe it, but I want you to trust in it, to rely on it, to let it strengthen you so that you may have life in His name, that you might have the kind of strength that that those who saw Him resurrected had, a strength not based on some inner resolve or or because of some shared calamity, but on the fact that Jesus Christ overcame death, Jesus Christ strong. Guys, He lives. if that's true, If He lives, then you know what it means. It means all the other things that He promised. They're as true for you this morning as they were for Thomas and John that first Easter morning. Let's not waste this crisis. I know what I've learned. Maybe you have too. It's been painful. But here's what I found. All the things that I thought I could trust and rely on, I can't. As the curve begins to flatten and as the fears begin to fade, can I encourage you, let us not waste this moment. Let's not go back to looking at those things again for our strength. I can feel it happening. I I, I can feel it myself. As the numbers get better, I start to move in that direction. But those things which used to give me strength, they can't even survive a virus, let alone the grave this Easter morning because of the truth of the resurrection, in finding my strength there because he lives. You know what it means to me this morning? It means that my Uncle Ted, even though he lies in a nursing home in Parsippany this morning, in isolation, he's not alone. We went to see him the other day. We were able to look through the window and talk to him and And my mom's been praying with him on the phone, and she says, You can't believe the the way that your Uncle Ted can pray. Can I just tell you the same Jesus Christ that my uncle met at the Bowery Mission, the one he trusted in years ago, that resurrected his life from being what he told me was the life of a homeless drunk, often passed out on the streets of New York City, that resurrected him to a faith filled believer. A man who has literally given everything he owns away to others that's proclaimed the saving and life-giving power of Jesus in church meetings and AA groups all over Manhattan. That Uncle Ted this Easter morning, he awakes not in isolation, but right next to his friend Jesus. Because if the resurrection is true, then it's certainly true that he never leaves or forsakes us. And should this plague take him, It might, but because he lives, it means to me that my uncle's going to be just fine. A resurrected life awaits him because he knows Jesus Christ. He trusts in his strength. He believes in his resurrection, and my uncle now experiences a power that puts his New York strong to shame. That's what the resurrection means to me this Easter. Easter. This week, we asked you what it means to you. I'm just so blown away by you guys. Here's what you told us.
1: Because he lives, we have peace. That God will provide. I have an anchor in every storm. All fear is gone. Because he lives, we will never be alone. We put put our our trust trust in him. I'll get to play lightsaber wars with my brother Connor in heaven. Because Christ lives, I choose love over fear. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, my glass is more than half full and my cup is always overflowing. Because He lives, I am never alone. My sins are forgiven. He saved me. I'm alive. I will live forever.
0: Because He lives, I've got a constant companion in my life.
1: Tomorrow can be brighter. Because He lives, we have joy. All fear is gone. Because Jesus lives, we have faith. Because He lives, I have a Heavenly Father who loves me. I am born again. I have the promise of eternal
0: life. We can find peace in the chaos.
1: And there is always chaos. Because he lives, I can thank the Lord for this gorgeous orchid that bloomed during the time of coronavirus. I have lots of stories of Jesus to share with my grandchildren.
0: Because he lives,
1: I can love. I
0: know we'll see them again.
1: I can have an eternity with him, and I can have joy everlasting. I can be still and know that he is God. I can face a dissertation defense next Monday. Because he lives, I have hope. I don't have to fear sickness. I have hope in eternal life. I know his word is true. I can praise you Jesus, and he can hear me. I am love. I can do all things. Because he lives, we are free. Because he lives,
0: we may all be saved.
1: Because he lives, we have family. I will rise up, rise strong, rise above, and rise unafraid. Because he lives, I can really face tomorrow. I asked him to live in my heart, and he, and he did forever.
0: Jesus lives. He's alive, He's risen, and you can too. This morning, right there in your locked homes, with the streets outside full of fear, can I encourage you to, and maybe it's for the first time this Easter morning, to put all of your faith and trust in Jesus and His resurrection. And in so doing, here's what John says. He says, you will have a life of peace right in the middle of a quarantine. Guys, do not let this Easter, which is so much like that first Easter, it's scary. Don't let it go to waste. New York Strong is not going to cut it. There is only one way for all of us to get through this together. His name is Jesus. This morning, sure, we're, we're all still locked up in our homes, but we no, no longer need to be locked up in our graves. Because if the grave isn't holding Jesus, maybe we can all be free. If the grave isn't holding him, let's proclaim it together. It doesn't have to hold me. We're going to do that in song right now. Last week I asked you all if you'd be part of the biggest choir in the history of Menham Hills Community Church. A lot of people told me I'm crazy and that no one would ever send something like that in. To each of you, I dedicate this song
1: I was there i
0: How awesome was that? John, who chronicled all of these things and wrote most of what what we've read this morning, John, looking back on all of these events that took place, wrote that coming into Jerusalem that weekend, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Friends, God calls you this morning like that first Easter morning, and he says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. God is love. Love wins. Be Jesus Christ strong. Happy Easter, Mendham Hills Community Church. May you believe. I'll see you back here next week.